0: Darkness is gathering early. This is the shortest day, the longest night of the year, the winter solstice, and the air is cold, thick, and heavy. It pokes the skin with little pinpricks of ice. Clouds hanging behind the mountains are rimmed in violet, orange, and blue. The only sound comes from the light slapping of a little girl's feet on the thin, rocky surface as she slips out of her garden gate. Then, instantly, as soon as she steps out, a dark shape flashes past at the very edge of her peripheral vision. She hears no sound, but scans the shrubs just ahead. There is something moving in the grass. Something silent and dark. Something just outside the edge of her comprehension. Something that has been lurking. Waiting. Watching. Ready to attack. And then the shadow is on her. Something sharp and hot is digging deep into her flesh. All around her now is a guttural snarling sound. Her clothes are ripped, her flesh is slashed, her arm is bleeding. Two more sharp snaps of a powerful jaw tear at her hands and shoulder. She can smell the hot, pungent breath of the unknown creature before she can even understand what is happening. Her remains are discovered in the morning. People would later say, She had been eaten by a beast, although in fact her body was not devoured. It appeared the animal had concentrated its fury around the little girl's head and neck, slashing away chunks of her throat. Her head is missing, only to be discovered, as town folks said, the distance of a rifle shot away in the later day. The local priest tells this girl's poor, distraught, and shocked family the terrible news and tells them that there are not enough remains for a proper Christian burial. Thus begins a period of terror, tragedy, heartbreak, horror, and panic. In the 1760s, close to 300 people were killed in a remote region of south-central France known as Gévaudan. Many claimed these deaths were attributed to a great beast, which is the simple name they gave it. The beast of Gévaudan was said to prefer attacking women and children and, above all else, small girls. According to first-hand accounts, Published in the press, it often removed the victim's head and drank all her blood, leaving nothing behind but a pile of bones. Illustrators and printers of the day quickly went to work depicting the beast in a frenzied manner. One poster, printed in 1764, described it as follows. The beast is reddish-brown, with dark ridge stripe down the back. It resembles a wolf or hyena, but is as big as a donkey. It has a long, gaping jaw, six claws, pointy upright ears, and a supple, furry tail, which is mobile like a cat's and can knock you over. The beast's cry is more like a horse neighing than a wolf howling. The Rampage of the Beast of Gévaudan and its desolation of the quaint French countryside was one of the first international news stories. First breaking in the courier of nearby Avignon, France, and it was then quickly taken up by the papers of Paris and from there spread like wildfire to news outlets and printing presses abroad. The time of the Beast of Gévaudan or, as the French called it in their native tongue, La Bête du Gévaudan was now at hand. This is the story.
1: yourself a glad
0: trailer park monster J.D. E. Hutchins, and you've just entered my dwelling and stepped inside the monster's lair. Enter if you dare. Survive if you The attacks had begun in June of 1764, and they seemed to be everywhere in this 900 square mile corner of the deep heart of France. A twelve-year-old girl from poich was one of the first victims. The identity of what killed her was called into question, and ideas and rumors of what the culprit was began to swirl around. Was this a great wolf? Was this a hellhound sent from the netherworld to punish the living for their sins? Was this beast like a demon? Was this not an animal at all, but a beast of flesh and blood, engaging in depraved violence, the likes of which had never been seen by these simple folk? By the end of 1764, eighteen would be dead, a shocking number of them children including notable cases of the 12-year-old girl from Puech, a 15-year-old girl from Mazméhan d'Alie, a boy the same age from Pradles, a little boy from Qualhok. As the death toll began to rise, a kind of mass hysteria gripped the region. Adding to the panic, first-hand accounts and descriptions from those who survived attacks from Lebet began to emerge. According to one chronicler of the events, one historical record and one of the more far-fetched descriptions of the beast was as follows. It was a fantastic animal, sized like a calf or a donkey. It had reddish hair, a large head similar to a pig, the mouth always gaping, short and perched ears, a white and large breast, with long and white-tipped tail and its hind legs wore hooves of a horse. The new year of 1765 began the same way. Twenty-six people were attacked in the month of January alone. Strangely, adult male victims survived their encounters with the beast and would live on to spread the tale. Out of all of the January victims of La Bête du Gévaudan, 11 died and all were under the age of 16, more than a half were girls. Villages were on high alert across all of central France. A reward of 1,000 livres was offered and local hunting groups were organized to track down the killer. Children began at this time to often carry knife blades tied onto sticks when they went to their work tending the herds in the fields, and adults commonly armed themselves with heavier weapons as they went through their daily routines. The Bishop of Mind ordered a day of prayer in all parish churches, hoping to mitigate this, quote, plague sent from God to punish men for their sins. But the spring of 1765 would promise to be Horrific. During one specifically horrifying attack, a young mother near St. Alban confronted the great wolf-like animal as it repeatedly lunged at her three children in front of her house. She was clawed and bitten over and over in the violent, scary, noisy, and chaotic conflict, but managed to save two of the three children before she had to watch in horror as the beast carried away the third in the clutches of its monstrous jaws. On April 18th, a 13-year-old boy named Martial Sharad was found in a field near Palhak where he had been tending a herd of cattle. Local records say his body had been drained, quote, as if by a butcher. His cheeks, and eye, his chest, and his thighs were all torn to shreds, and his knees were found to be dislocated by this ferocious beast that, quote, eats the world. In total, an incredible 44 people were killed by the end of May. This would lead to the next chapter and this unlikely, but true, tale.
2: The body found in the field belonged to a 14-year-old girl named Jeanne Boulay. She'd been watching over her sheep when something attacked. Whatever it was, tore her apart. This was the summer of 1764 in the French province of Gévaudan, a rural land insulated from an increasingly modern outside world and tucked away in the hills of southern France. Medieval villages speckled its countryside, where ancient folklore lived on among its peasantry. Life here was generally quiet. But just a month after Boulet's death, a 15-year-old girl was attacked and killed. A few weeks later, another violent attack left a teenage boy dead. The killer didn't stop. One brisk September day, a woman in her 30s stood outside as the sun set. She sensed danger, but it was too late. Home was just barely too far away. She was half-eaten on her own doorstep. Three others were killed in the same month. Witnesses and newspapers describe the devilish creature, which liked to sever the heads and eat the throats of its victims.
0: Previous clip was brought to us courtesy of History Dose via YouTube. One of the most intriguing stories to emerge from the three-year reign of terror of La Bête du Gévaudon centers around one of 18th century France's most unlikely heroes a young boy by the name of Jacques Portefeu Jacques was born in 1753 and raised by his father Pierre Portefeu and mother Madeleine Messonnier god I hate French the language of love my ass it's an unnecessarily flower, flowery language the couple gave birth to ten children, but only four would go on to survive. Jacques, the eldest son, his sisters Madeleine and Antoinette, and his brother Mathieu. The courage he would go on to demonstrate at the age of merely twelve, on January 12th, 1765, staring down the beast not only earned him his fame and legendary status, as a literal living folk hero of France, but secured him a better life in the form of an annuity of 300 livres, the equivalent of $400,000 in America today, for his education paid by the financial services of the king. So, what was it that Jacques Portefeu is known for doing? In January of 1765, Jacques was out working the fields with a group of his friends. That's right, folks. Working the fields at the age of 12. As you see, there were no labor laws or child protective services in the rural farmlands of 18th century France. Anyway, while working, it's at this time that the children claim that La Bête de Gévadon suddenly appeared from out of the nearby woods, a claim that goes hand in hand with many first-hand accounts of the beast, from the time, that all state, no one could ever see or hear it stalking its victims, and it would seemingly appear out of nowhere. The children, upon seeing the beast emerge from the woods, witnessing it staring down its newfound prey across the field, and fearing for their lives, took up their tools, and under the command and lightning-fast thinking of Jacques, formed a spartan-like phalanx, formation sticking out sharp pikes, pitchforks, and other farming instruments in an effort to shield themselves from the savage monster bearing down on them. The beast was undaunted, however, and grabbed another young boy from the formation by the throat in its razor-like jaws. At this point, the young port sprang into action, jabbing at the beast with a pointed pike, ...deterring the ferocious attack, sending the beast into the dark forest from whence he came... ...and saving his mangled, but still alive friend from a terrible, frightening death. The injured boy suffered severe injuries, including lacerations to the throat... ...and having pieces of his face literally ripped from his skull, but would survive. Jacques would go on to become renowned for his act of bravery... And successful attempt to get the better of the beast. Thanks to his allowance, he was able to receive a good education and practice a profession he went on to enjoy. He was also introduced to some important people of his time, including the king himself. While his companions were farmers or craftsmen like their parents, Jacques was given the opportunity to climb the social ladder which was unusual for the summon of a farmer in those days. The beast was dead 18 years upon Jacques's death at the age of 32 on August 14, 1785 due to unknown causes. Upon his death, Jacques was a French artillery soldier on leave in the village of Frankenville.
1: Hello, my name is Zach Mueller. I am the owner of Void Productions and the solo man behind Void,
0: Ershayun, and Acid Sludge. And you're listening to The Monster's Lair. Hey, what's going on, Monsterage? It's me, the monotone with the microphone, the trailer park monster himself, J.D. Hutchins. And I have a question for all of you. Are you guys looking for some awesome merchandise? Well, look no further than Burial 13. Burial 13 is a streetwear brand from right here in Fresno, California, my hometown. And they have some sick, badass, awesome, horror and comedy themed designs for your shirts, shorts, and other apparel. I'm happy and proud to announce that the monsters layer is an ambassador for Burial 13 Apparel, and by being an ambassador, I can offer all of my listeners a special discount code. That code is TML10. Once again, TML the monsters layer, 10 the number 1010. So go to www.burial13apparel.com, check out their badass merch their cool designs, and all their products. Pick something you like, throw that bitch in the cart, and in the promo code area, make sure you put in TML10 and save yourself 10% off your next Burial 13 purchase. If you'd like to learn more about Burial 13 apparel, how they were founded, what they're based on, and what kind of products they offer, you can go back to the beginning of season two And check out my sit-down one-on-one interview with a brand founder, Thomas Burrell, on TML Talks, Episode 1. Montserrage, I appreciate you guys listening. I appreciate all of your support. And this is a unique and cool way that I can help show that appreciation and return the favor. So definitely go and check out www.burial13apparel.com right now. Check out their badass merch, and as always, Monsteraj, thank you for listening and supporting the Monster's Lair podcast. At the end of May, the terrible news of the events of Gévaudan could not be contained even in such a remote region of France. By the end of the year of 1764, newspapers in Paris had picked up the story. It became one of the first truly national events in the country's history and soon appeared even in papers across the Channel in London and in all the other capitals of Europe. More importantly, It reached all the way to Versailles, where King Louis XV, known by his subjects as Louis the Beloved, took notice and ordered his royal army to intervene to spare his countrymen and women from the gnashing jaws of death itself. A series of men would answer the king's call to action as well, all of them self-proclaimed to be the best wolf hunters in France. This group of men took up the challenge and journeyed to Auvergne to begin tracking La Bête du Gévaudan. These so-called best wolf hunters in France, after months and months of tracking with no results, would prove themselves to be hapless as attacks continued all the while. Finally, mercifully, in the late weeks of September 1765, Louis the Beloved's very own royal rifle-bearer, a man named Francois Antoine, a thin, pale, short, curly, thinning-haired gentleman of the court, with great, triangular-shaped sideburns, while out on a patrol, would shoot and kill an unusually large wolf near St. Julien de Chazay. Upon his return, the body of the now-called Wolf of Chazay ...was packed off to be displayed to the court at Versailles in celebration. Victory was officially declared by the court, and relief washed over France. This relief, however, and period of celebration would only last a mere six weeks' time, ...as after this period, gruesome attacks would begin again. Eight people encountered the beast and late 1765, after the death of the Wolf of Chaze. Two young girls were dead by the end of December, bringing the total for the year to 55 dead, 28 wounded, and 56 who escaped La Bête safely. King Louis XV may have considered the case closed, but 18 more people died in 1766, and 21 more were eaten by the beast of Gévaudan in 1765. The level of panic in Auvergne rose to a level of hysteria, with people speculating that all the evil forces of nature had been unleashed on this isolated region of France for their sins. This was increased by the fact that the court was done lending a hand in the matter, as they believed they had taken care of the real monster. Finally, on June 17th of 1767, a man named Jean Chastel, a man beloved by those in the region, a man with a reputation for piety and integrity, took up his gun and went out with a hunting party organized by a local aristocrat. At last, La Bête de Gévaudan had met its match. Jean Chastel was a farmer and innkeeper from the region of Gévaudan, a gruff man often clad in a period waistcoat and tri-cornered hat with a sturdy build, strong jaw, and weathered features from a long life of hard work. He was also a kind man, and a man of great faith by all accounts, and it was this faith that he leaned into to grant him the courage, strength, and mental toughness to relentlessly track, hunt, and eventually find La Bette. In the first and final meeting of Jean Chastel and the Beast of Gévaudan, Jean wore his shotgun loaded with two consecrated bullets that he previously anointed with holy oil. Upon laying eyes on the real La du Gévaudan, he was clutching his rosary and saying a prayer. Calmly, eye to eye with the beast across from him, he closed his rosary and put it in his pocket. He then calmly and patiently took off his glasses and put them in a case. First-hand accounts of the incident claim that the entire time the beast did not move and just watched Chastel's every movement. Chastel then slowly shoulders his weapon, aims, and shoots. His shot lands, but the mighty and terrifying beast remains still, his gaze locked on the old hunter. The hunting dogs that John had by his side and whom he brought along on his great hunt, on the sound of the shot rushed to the target. They then begin lunging at the beast of Gervaudon, and appearing mortally wounded from the shot, the beast is weakened and does not resist the dog's attack. The dogs eventually knock down Labette and begin tearing it apart with bite after bite. After some time, the beast eventually lays dead. Chastel and his party load the beast onto the back of a horse, and here it is carried to Castle Bisquet. Here it is examined by court officials. It is then indeed declared the real beast of Gévaudan. Its feet, its ears, and the hugeness of its mouth indicate a monster of unknown origin. In its innards is found the shoulder of a young girl, most likely the one that had been devoured two days before in Pabrac. After this, the beast of Gévaudan's body is led on a grand procession through the countryside on its way to Paris, but by the time it reached Versailles, it was in such a state of decay that no one could make out exactly what kind of animal it was. And this fact, due to this reason, is to this day forever lost to history. Despite the dozens of attacks that had come later, the king persisted in the story that the Wolf of Chazay was the real beast of Gevaudan and mocked Chastel's accomplishment. In any event, the fact remains, the killings across the Javaudon stopped at the point of Chastel's killing of this creature, and never resumed. The period of fear, suffering, and murder at the end of the jaws of La Bête du Gévaudan was finally at an end.
2: All the stories that seem fanciful or completely unrelated to reality, have been inspired by true events. Seriously, This isn't an exaggeration. Human imagination rarely manages to create such real monsters and the case of werewolves is a good example to prove it. Throughout history, these terrifying creatures have lodged in people's minds. But in the beginning, when the first stories about these monsters began to be written, the stories were real and inspired by real people. Neighbors from a country or aristocrats of the time that began to act strangely overnight and started murdering people cold bloodedly without any explanation.
0: So, listeners, what really was the Beast of Gevaudon? What manner of animal or thing did Jean Chastel finally bring to the ground? The panic of the era, followed by embellishments and stories told around the fireplace and campfire and the 250 years since led to several hypotheses. Perhaps it really was a devil beast, one of a kind, sent by God to punish the people of the land of the Gévaudon. Was it possibly just an unusually large wolf that struck fear into the hearts of all who saw it and in their panic caused him caused them to embellish what they saw? Is it possible that the attacks were not caused by just one creature, but maybe a pack of several large wolves who somehow acquired a particular taste for human flesh? Could it have been some kind of escaped circus animal, a hyena, perhaps, or maybe a lion, a tiger, or some other type of big cat like panther or mountain lion? Or was it something even more sinister? A human serial killer who put on a wolf's skin to carry out his attacks. As we all know here inside the Monster's Lair, listeners, humans are the real monsters in this world. This was just one of the theories, despite the fact that not a single eyewitness account described anything at all human-like in the attacking creature. More far-fetched explanations have developed over time, such as Labette being a werewolf, an extraterrestrial being, and possibly an interdimensional creature, the uncontrollable offspring of a she-wolf impregnated by a human, and many other far-fetched theories. The decomposed body of the creature transported to Paris was in fact examined in as much detail as possible, and all the best evidence points to the simplest explanation. The beast of Gévaudan was simply a wolf of unusual size and aggressiveness, an animal capable of ranging over a broad slice of the land and inflicting horrific damage on the bodies and psyches of its inhabitants. Of course, without modern, up-to-date, definitive scientific proof, it's up to you the listener, to decide what you think the truth of the matter really is. One thing that remains absolutely true to this day is the fact that some of the locals of the Jevodon region still say that the reddish tint of some of the grass in the meadows here is a reminder of that time. The time of Labette, and they claim that animals of the land still will not graze it. The Monsters Layer podcast is made possible by the following people whom I'd like to credit. Logo and cover art design Chief Alan Bailey Music, sound beds, sound effects, and audio go to the following people. First and foremost, I'd like to thank the band Poor Man's Poison from Hanford, California, for allowing me to use their song Devil's Price as the official Monsters Layer theme song. Poor Man's Poison consists of Tommy McCarthy, Ryan Hacker, Mike Jacobs, and Justin maderos Additional credits go to Polly Manners, also known as the Bearded Breed. Host of the Bearded Breed podcast and frontman for Metal Messiah for allowing me the use of songs from his band. The Mad Thinker, Mike Morgan, for original beats and soundbeds. Find him on Instagram at Thinker with the number three in place of the E. Credit also goes out to Zachary Mueller, the owner of Void Productions, for background music, beds, and sound effects. Special thank yous go out to the following people My wife, the dark, lovely, and witchy Christy Miller For constant support and understanding of me doing this passion project My daughters, the heathens, Haley and Harper My partners at the Myriad Podcast Network The Bearded Breed, Polly Manners The Dark Knight, Brandon Davis Dank Lord Trap God, Christian Miller Also the bass player for the Moonjacks The Nerdsman, and Abyss, a.k.a. Zachary Mueller, of Void Productions. Thank you to Thomas Burrell and Burial 13 Apparel for support and appearances on the Monster's Lair. Shout out to Juvie Desayuno and Vic Wren the Legendary from the Hard Camera Podcast for supporting the show and always shouting out my show on the air. Rest in power, Tom the Nightmare, Thomas Cunningham, the Monsters Lair former co-host and my longtime friend. And last but certainly not least, thank all of you, the listeners, for always tuning in and for your continued, constant support of the Monsters Lair. Thank you. The Monsters Lair is a proud member of the Myriad Podcast Network.